Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Well, today in the show, we're going to talk a little about plant tissue analysis. If you've got any questions about that or anything going on in your farm, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, plant tissue analysis. This is something that we find very few farmers doing. But we do see good benefits with this, and here's really what we're after. It's one thing to look at your soil tests, and the soil tests are tremendously important. We absolutely want you soil testing on a fairly regular basis, and we want you using small grids or zones, at least occasionally. That'll really help you identify the variability in your fields. What we're using plant tissue analysis for is not in small grids or zones. We're just doing a few spots in fields from time to time. Um, When I say from time to time, what I mean by is this. Like, I'll just tell you what we do on our own farm. We do not do plant tissue sampling in every single field every year. We do soil testing in every field every year, but we don't do plant tissue analysis. We only do it in a few fields each year, but when we do it, we're going to do it every single week same day every week, for 10 to 12 weeks, maybe 14 weeks. But it's probably only, let's call it, two or three spots in a field. And let's say we did five to eight fields per year. So we're not talking about a lot of total samples. Uh, To do plant tissue analysis is probably going to cost you, let's just call it $20 a sample. So, I mean, you're going to invest some money in it. But one of the things Darren has always said is, hey, the plant tissue analysis test, that's kind of like the report card for you on how good a job you did with your overall fertility program. But here's the challenge with it. With plant tissue analysis, you're going to get a reading back, in other words, like parts per million or percent or something like that. And that's one thing, and that's, that, that is really the most important thing. But then you're also going to get a rating, most likely from your lab. And it's going to say, oh, this is average or in the good range, whatever, uh, this is high or this is low. Well, a lot of the labs simply look at what their average has been coming in on all plant tissue samples and that that mid-tier they're going to call satisfactory, sufficient, whatever. The high is considered high, the low is considered low. Well, I just want you to ask yourself this question. Just think about this logically. Since you most likely don't send plant tissue samples in, when is the only time you do send plant tissue samples in? When is the only time your neighbors send plant tissue samples in? Or your agronomist or whatever? It's when. It's when they have a problem. So what I'm saying is our belief is that many labs are just looking at your, they're going to rate your stuff versus all these other ones, and most of them are problem areas. So I don't know if it's actually helpful or not helpful. I'm not really sure, but I do know this. Over time, you can certainly judge things based on your own results, and you can go, all right, I'm doing these tests for 12 weeks in a row. I see what my levels were, and now I see my yield at the end of the year. So if, let's say, I'm shooting for higher yield next year, well, theoretically, I should probably just 
try to make sure I have a few more nutrients in that plant all the way along, right? Makes logical sense. And we, we know some people who have done that, and that has worked out, okay? So anyway, the other reason why we do want you looking at plant tissue analysis isn't just overall yield. It's identifying those problem spots like we were talking about a minute ago. So as an example, um, there is something that happens in corn, at, in, in I mean, just all over the place, and people will call it rapid growth syndrome. And they'll say, oh, that well, that corn, you see a few yellow plants out in your cornfield. That's just rapid growth syndrome. Nothing to worry about, and the plant will grow out of it. If anybody ever tells you that, um, you know that they don't know what they're talking about because there's no such thing as rapid growth syndrome. That's just a made-up excuse by people who don't want to actually find out what the real problem is. Those yellow plants out in your field, it's not just rapid growth syndrome. Again, there's no such thing. It's a nutrient problem about 99% of the time. Usually it's zinc, could be sulfur, could be manganese or something else. So our advice to you is this. If you ever have problem areas in fields like that, especially when it's one plant that looks terrible and another plant right near it or next to it looks great, send leaves in from both of those plants and have them analyzed separately and then compare the nutrient readings. So that's that that's huge. And I just tell you, though, there's an answer for a lot of the problems that are out in your field. You need a full investigation in a lot of cases. You need to look. Do I have an insect issue, a disease issue? Do I have just weeds congregating right around that plant? Like, for example, I used to see when, when I was a young agronomist and a young farmer, we had a lot of problems with Canada thistle. Well, I'll tell you what, any plant I had, corn, soybeans, wheat, anything, if it was near, even near a Canada thistle plant, Oh, it was stunted. We didn't have the yield, nothing. So the re what was the problem out there? They, it wasn't nutrients. It was the weed, 100%. So my point here is tissue analysis is part or should be part of your investigation. It's not everything. You need to look at all the other things too and see, hey, do I have a drainage issue? Do I have compaction? What, what all is going on here? We also would tell you where you pull plant tissue analysis, pull a soil test too because ultimately what we're after is we're trying to get the right balance of nutrients in the soil to properly feed our plant and then we want to see how that translates. How does that carry through? Are we having tie-up issues? Anything else? So anyway... Plant tissue analysis is something we've been using for years now, and when we first started it, the reason why is because we were going for higher yields, kept throwing more nitrogen on, started doing plant tissue analysis, realized, oh, nitrogen's not our problem. It's actually potassium, boron, zinc, all these other things. And the plant tissue analysis really helped us get focused and, be on, and get on the right direction. All right, we'll talk more about plant tissue analysis coming up next. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming, 
Because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio talking about plant tissue analysis and what you can do with that. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Start off with Molly Alexander with AgroLiquid down in the southeastern United States. How you doing, Molly? I'm doing good. Thank you. All right, I'm thinking about where you're at, lighter soils, irrigation. Man, things can change in a hurry out in fields and out in crops. Very much so. We have a lot of water, but we have a lot of loose soils. So we run across a little bit of leaching, and, you know, we just got we got different things that happen down in this part of the world. Well, you also have pretty fast growth, too. I mean, I'm just seeing some of the pictures of cornfields in Georgia online. It's like, wow, that corn's really coming along. And when corn is growing fast, or other crops as well, the nutrient draw is huge. And keeping track of that along the way has got to be important. It is. It is. Down here, we get a lot more heat units and a lot more... Um, different circumstances that cause things in the southeast to kind of get a jump start ahead of uh, the rest of the world outside of maybe Texas, Arizona, places like that. But, um, you know, just like you said, we've got an exponential takeoff down here just because we've gotten quite a bit of rain and we've gotten some higher temperatures. And so, you know, a lot of these inputs these guys have got in the ground already, we're having to play a little bit of catch up to that because the crops are taking off so fast. So when it comes to plant tissue tests, is this something that is pretty common and a majority of guys are doing it? Or is it something that uh, there's some guys that are doing it, but it'd be better if more were on board? So probably the latter of what you said. We do have some guys that they do pull tissues and I do encourage it. Um, but most of the time, these guys down here, they, they kind of like to just put it out as a more of a preventative versus kind of a, a 
really getting into the nitty-gritty of what they need and at what time. But then we also have guys that they're still trying to push that envelope and get a little bit better yield results than what they have in the past. So tissue testing has actually picked up a little bit more down in this area. Um, That way these guys are able to push the envelope because, you know, as well as I do in, say, corn and soybeans and things like that, we've got more of an in-furrow and a two-by-two practice that we can get out and get it early But when we look at a cotton crop, that's not a very widely used practice. And so we have to go after things more in a foliar sense on cotton. So these guys are starting to pick up different things in that tissue testing aspect and really trying to build like a database as to what to go after for that next year. All right. When you talk about that and you look at all the different nutrients out there, and and I know when you said leaching earlier, nitrogen, sulfur, boron, those kinds of nutrients really come to mind as ones that can move through the soil pretty quickly. What about P and K? What about zinc? Are you are you watching that one as clo- or those nutrients as close on these tissue tests? We are, and it's just. I mean, it goes back to what I just said earlier. I mean, we've got a lot of corn. We've got a lot of soybeans. I mean, the, the southeast is a very wide range of crops. And so we, we tend to focus a lot on P and K more in those corn and grass-type crops and maybe some rice and a lot of nitrogen as well. But, again, you know, when we get into cotton, nitrogen is not a huge factor. Phosphorus is not a big factor. But now... Say, for example, potassium has come across the board as a limiting factor in cotton production just because strictly it removes so much at a reproductive stage. So micronutrients are a big thing, uh, just like I said, because of the leaching and such. But the P&K has become a, uh, a real concern as well. So when these guys are pulling tissues, we're looking at everything across the board and not just focusing on... Uh, you know, just one or other, one or two things. All right. Talk to us a little bit then, Molly, about uh, what do you do with these tissue analysis um, results when you see, okay, I'm short of uh, some nutrients here and it's the middle of the growing season. I've got irrigation. I could fertigate. I could do some foliar feed. What kind of uh, solutions do farmers shoot for? So in this area, we do have a lot of ground rigs that go out across. We have a lot of spraying. We have a lot of fungicide applications, just like in cotton, um, rice, things like that. You know, these guys, they, they're running across the field quite a bit, whether it be a ground rig or even an airplane. Um, we have a lot of irrigation, so there's opportunity for fertigation as well. But um, these guys, most of the time, they're, when they're seeing a deficiency is when they're going out and trying to fix that. And my stance on is it is I would rather them be proactive than reactive. And so by the time we see that visual deficiency, yes, we can go in with a corrective, um, you know, tape mix, maybe a micro pack or something like that to go across the field. But at that point, I encourage these guys, you know, we're we're kind of maintaining loss at that point instead of building yield. So my stance on the tissue testing is we can use it to diagnose a problem we see visually, but again, I want these guys to get out there and kind of get ahead of that problem. So if in the past they've had a problem, say, with boron deficiency, if they have a, uh, you know, a sprayer going across the field with maybe a herbicide application or something like that, 
and they knew in the past they were short on boron. I try to encourage them to get out in front of that. So they'll get out, they'll go, they'll go fix it. They'll try to get something in a foliar sense out there to do what they can do. But I've always encouraged them to just try to get out ahead of it and not wait until we see the problem or we find it in that tissue test. I like that. That's how we look at it too on our farm. Now we've got heavier ground. We don't have irrigation, so it's it's much more difficult for us to try to do that in season, maybe than guys with fertigation and some other options. But uh, still, I, I think that approach is right to say, okay, I don't want to make this mistake again. I'm going to get it fixed going forward, and and at least have a plant program. Maybe in light soils, you can't do it all up front, but at least you know, hey, I'm going to be short of boron and here's some good timings where i'm going to be out there that i can get after i, I like the approach uh, let me ask you real quick about products because you've got one that that's in your arsenal that i really like it's a product called Fertorain that's got a number of different nutrients in it. it's been fantastic for uh, some of the foliar feed things we've done what what do you see do you like uh things like sure k do you like micronutrients in these foliar feeds what what products do you target so Anyone that knows me, they know that I like a spoon feed approach on a foliar scent. And so a lot of the times, depending on the crop, you know, we'll tailor make a, a program. But I'll tell you, in our lineup, we have some that they cross the board across all different crops. You mentioned Ferdrain. Ferdrain is an amazing one because it does have an MP and K package built into it. But we got that married with some of those micros that we need. So it's kind of considered a complete product. It can go over the top. It's very crop safe. It'll tank mix beautifully. But, you know, we've got some other things. So, like, we have a micro 500. And this one also has a bunch of micronutrients in it. Um, you know, we've got things like zinc, iron, manganese, copper, some boron. So, you know, those go across... Uh, vegetative and fruiting crops very well like soybeans cotton but we can also tie that into some corn and things like that but you know agroliquid we really try hard to tailor make and tailor fit these products into every application that they can go out and we do have a really good foliar lineup but it marries very well with everything else that's going out yeah, there's certainly a lot of choices out there, a lot of different directions that, that farmers can go in terms of feeding the crop. I, I love the idea of taking some plant tissue analysis during the growing season, see where we're at, see over a period of time what your crops are running short in, uh, and then addressing them however you can. If you can do it up front, great. If you can plan an approach to spoon feed things along the way, if that works well for you and your crops and your management, fantastic. But just keeping that farm moving forward and and not just staying in that same rut of, man, I got this problem. I'll always have this problem. I, I like doing something about it. We're yeah, talking, yeah. Talking with Molly Alexander here with AgriLiquid. Molly, great having you on. Really appreciate it. Love to talk to you again down the road. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Talking about plant tissue analysis on today's program. It's something we don't even have any crops up yet, other than our alfalfa starting to green up on our farm. But we're going to be working on this one uh, in the next coming weeks here and during the growing season. We'll talk a little bit more about it coming up right after this. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. 
Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valen.com fierce to find the right Fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Get what you spray for results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Applying nitrogen in my planter is an important part of our system. It's efficient and puts nitrogen right in the root zone. Hi, Greg Souter. 360 tanks make on-planter nitrogen much easier. Those 700-gallon tanks keep the tractor balanced, distributing weight evenly over the axles, and they give me great visibility. Plus, with the narrow transport width, mailboxes are safe. Take a good look at 360 Yield Center tractor tanks and see how they help boost efficiency at planting time. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about plant tissue analysis on today's program, and our phone lines are open here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Got Lake Goglin on right now with us with Sound Ag to talk a little more about plant tissue testing. How you doing, Lake? Hey, good, guys. How are you? We are doing well. We are doing well. You know, one of the things when we talk about plant tissue analysis, you take only one ever. Well, that's just a snapshot of what happened that day in that plant or those plants that you pulled the, the test from. I kind of like looking at it over a period of time, and I think you're of the same mind that it's probably better at, at looking for trends. 100%. Yep, that's... I feel I feel that uh, feel very very strongly about that. I think uh, the way that we can use this tool uh, is to, for one, try to catch some deficiencies. Um, 
before we can actually visually see them because as, as you and a lot of people know once you see them a lot of times it's, it's pretty difficult to correct them um, the other side of it is, is we can see how our management practices have affected um, that crop from a little bit earlier uh, to you know a little bit later season as long as we're you know, testing in the same areas and make sure that we're we're comparing apples to apples you know that's that's exactly right. It's hard to get an apples to apples test because you may say, well, I took this one and the crop was at V6 corn. I took this one and it's at tassel time. Well, that's that's a whole different time in that plant's life. The <laughs> needs are different. I mean, there's there's a lot of season that's happened between there and it might not even be from the same spot in the field. So how, how do you do that? How do you set this up to uh, to get the right timing and, and so forth? Yeah, so I think what's really important too is is when you take these tests uh, at these different stages to look at um, obviously the timing, but what does the crop need at that time, and compare it relatively at each stage when you when you when you are testing and try to make it a, a practice where you are pulling you know, whether it's taking a flag or putting a point in in some sort of software system um, or even as simple as taking a screenshot on your phone, so you know you're in the, a similar part of the field at least. Um, and then, like I said, instead of maybe comparing both of them which it can be useful but like you said there's been a heck of a lot that's happened uh, whether it be disease or insects or you know some sort of natural event Uh, so just looking at where that crop is kind of in comparison to where it maybe should be at that stage uh, multiple times and how your practices have affected it throughout the season. I think it's interesting too how uh, broadleaf crops are a little different than grass crops and and perennial crops certainly a little different Uh, does does the system look similar based on the crop or or is it widely different from one crop to the next yeah so i think it's it's gonna this is gonna sound like a canned answer but uh, it's a little bit of both um i think the practices that we that we put in place should be similar to make sure we're getting a good sample getting that scent as soon as possible um storing in the correct environment all that good stuff but uh, we do want to look and see where when each particular crop is is going to have a, a high uh, demand of certain nutrients, um, or if, if there's been a trend in a, an alfalfa crop, that man that that second cutting is never as good, and I want to know if I can fix it. And the timing is going to change for that as well, so it's going to be more on when you are going to harvest it and the demand of that crop uh, per crop. But again, I think the practices need to remain the same where you you're getting a good consistent sample. Hey, Lake, uh, haven't talked to you for a little bit. What should we be watching for out of Sound Ag going into this season? Yeah, so the one thing we're, we're really excited about is our we've got our DC product um, somewhat launching, if you will, this year um, for, for wheat and other hay crops, alfalfa. Um, that's pretty exciting, getting into some new markets. Um, from the agronomy side, we're doing a, a ton of, of trials um, and just trying to – one thing that's pretty excited, we've – really or exciting excuse me we've really streamlined our process so we're going to have a lot of consistent data points um, to be able to chat and show producers and 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 retailers in the area that hey this is where it works this is where it doesn't trying to dial in the precision placement if you will um, and then you know just as usual looking into nutrient reduction and and just trying to grab a few extra bushels and make that soil work for us a little bit more than it than it has for sure Absolutely. Uh, Definitely look for more out of Sound Ag this summer and and look forward to talking to you again, Lake. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. I appreciate the time. Let's head down to Alabama. We've got Mike with us who farms down there. How you doing, Mike? 
spectacular, boys, planting corn. So who, what could be better? Ooh, make us jealous up here today. We're seeding some oats today, so if that counts, we're, <laughs> we're, we're getting something in the well, ground. Well, we're not too far ahead. We just got started planting corn yesterday. But okay. It's 85 degrees and sunny and a nice breeze, so we're feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, good luck to you guys down there. That's, that's a a fun job to have. I mean, there's a lot of jobs that aren't as much fun on the farm, but planting corn, that's, that's one of the good ones. How about pulling plant tissue samples? Is that something that, that you enjoy doing or you've gotten a lot of value out of on your farm? You've hit a lot of the high points already. You know, it's, it's one of the only things we can do during the growing season that, that we can see. And, you know, we, you start out like you talked about a report card. You can see what we've done with our, with our fall fertilizer application. And we're trying to get our levels up and we're trying to do all the right things. So this is the first kind of check mark that we can check on that. But then as the season goes, it, it kind of progresses. And like I say, we're, we're sampling the same spots all through the season so we can see what that plant's doing as it goes along and yeah there's sometimes hey it it turns off cool and gets wet again and and that plant's just not pulling up what what you want it to and you you just can't see it right there but you know it's there and then you watch those trends as it as it picks up what it wants and then as that season changes if it if it turns off really dry and you can see that that plant is not getting something it needs that you know is in the soil but for some reason it can't get it then maybe you can you can be ahead of the curve like you were talking about and speed feed it some to, to help it get caught back up or you can watch it or the other side of that coin is hey we've got a great growing season we're off to the races and you can see that plant just taking up everything and just going as hard as it can go and you can find maybe one or two things that you can add a little bit more to really help that plant go over the top and pop those yields if, if you're watching along the way and it, it's just a it's a window into our growing season. One more of those little pieces. All right. So if you had to pick one nutrient, Mike, is there, is there a certain nutrient or maybe uh, you say, well, in this crop, it's this nutrient, another crop, it's a different one, but is there a certain nutrient that you have to consistently fight to keep at a high level? Um, you know, I, I worry about magnesium, some on some of this high pH ground, getting tied up but but that boron is one that if things aren't just right that plant's not going to pick it up and it's easy to throw a little boron in over the top to compensate for that and i I know from my soil samples the boron is there but if if things aren't just right that plant's not getting it and all of a sudden we can just give it a little help right there sure Um, sure copper has kind of gotten out of kilter on us too yeah, you know, you mentioned that boron for sure in areas where we get rainfall, in areas where we have lighter soils. I mean, there's just a lot of lot of potential areas where boron is going to be a challenge. And uh, and you mentioned copper there too. I know that's one I'm really curious to watch a little bit closer. We've seen some differences with some of the plant diseases where we have higher levels of copper out there, and I just want to try and get some more observations on on some of those this year as well. Well, Mike, I know you're busy. And my sulfur oh, also because we're – Good one. Sorry, but yeah, sulfur also is one of those things where we're throwing sulfur in every time we side dress on the corn or trying to get sulfur out there. But I, it's it's a window to see to make sure we're getting enough sulfur because that that's one of the things that we lose through leaching or just just can't get a good good balance on it. So that's another one that that we really watch. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I would say that's a fair statement here too. And the other thing with that sulfur, Mike, I know we're kind of watching as we're putting more sulfur on in some fields, we're, we're getting even more response. So even though we think we're addressing it, we might need even a little more than what we're thinking. Well, Mike, uh, good luck to you. I know you when guys. When you get the number figured out, you let, you let me know what it is. <laughs> I figured you'd say that. Well, Mike, good luck to you guys planting corn. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit. Really appreciate it. All right. Great to talk to you. Thank you guys so much. We're talking plant tissue analysis on our show today, and our phone lines are open at 844 44 AG PhD if you have a question or if you'd like to give a little feedback as well. Stay tuned. Where are you getting your fertilizer this year? Just about anywhere you look, it's going to cost more. And you may even find it's harder to get when you need it. It sure would be nice to have a better source of crop nutrients. Believe it or not, you do. It's your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more than nutrients already in your fields, so you can add less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. It's such a solid backup plan, you'll probably find yourself wondering why Source wasn't the plan all along. Visit sound.ag to learn more. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Coming. The weeds are coming! Hey! Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting really... But the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming! We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. And Ag PhD Mailbag means we're taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we're also going to answer your emails, radio at agphd.com. Had a call earlier from Fran from Massachusetts, and he wants to know, uh, what do we think about drones applying fertilizer or herbicides today and in the future? I think this is going to become fairly popular. Um, The challenge is how do you get enough product delivered? Because you think about it, how much can a drone possibly carry? Whereas our great big sprayer we run out in the field, uh, that can carry 1,200 gallons. So I don't need constant fill-ups. We've looked at this even on our own farm, and the only way it's it's very feasible is somebody is, is literally constantly swapping out tanks with a swarm of drones. So in other words, let's say you have three drones and you have nine tanks there. So you can constantly be refilling these little tanks. When the drone comes back every time, you, you pull the, the tank out, pop the next one in, and away you go. Um, there are a lot of areas where aerial applications needed, but you can't do aerial application because of trees, power lines, just a lot of different issues that way. So that is really where this thing fits. To try to replace all the ground rigs in the United States, uh, personally, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But for these specialty spots, then as that little niche market? Absolutely. So we're probably talking potentially, let's call it 1% or 2% of the acres in the United States. They could switch over any time here. I mean, as soon as people get trained up on this, everybody kind of figures this thing out. So in the next few years, I think you're going to see a lot of those little drones around. All right. Thanks for the question, friend. Yeah, that's, that's one we're hearing a lot about is drones in agriculture and how they're best going to be used. All right, Brian, got some soil tests here, and this is from John. He said, guys, I'm a new farmer. I've been doing this for only three years, and I'm a first-generation farmer here. Very small operation at this point. Uh, I only have 40 acres, and and some of it's CRP. But I've got some two-acre soil samples here that I sent you. And I want to learn small and and figure out what I'm doing first and then start taking more risk and taking bigger acres. But – I'm curious, I want to get my fertility in check for both yield and for plant health. This year, my ground will have corn, and my yield goal is 200 bushels here in Ohio. I'm curious what you would do with this soil sample, and also uh, as a first-generation guy, what the economics would be as well. What would you do if you didn't have a ton of extra money out there? Okay, so one of the things that really plays into this with the economics is what are our crop prices this year? So I was talking to an agronomist just the other day, and I said, all right, here's how a lot of people used to do things, and quite frankly, many of us still kind of do it this way, because I just said, I'll give you the example myself. Both of our grandpas lived through the Depression. Our dad made it through the 1980s, barely, but he made it, okay? So basically what I'm saying is three super influential people in my life and Darren's life, it was I mean, you want to use the word conservative, but let's call it ultra conservative. So to the point where I'm not willing to spend any money until I've already got the money in the bank. 
So if you're in that kind of situation, it's it's going to be hard to invest much money at a time. Whereas uh, it, it, when you look at today's crop prices, you go, whoa, if I could gain an extra even 20 bushels of corn times, let's call it, even if the market's as low as $5, 20 bushels times $5, that's an extra $100 an acre. So you can afford quite a bit of extra fertilizer, even though you may not have the money in the bank. So anyway, two, two schools of thought, you do whatever you want to do. But what I see here is you need a lot of fertility. But the good news is at least one of these spots, you got a fair amount already out there. 122 on a P1 phosphorus test in one spot, but the very next spot is 12. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what happened there, but you got one spot where you need no phosphorus. You're in great shape. In fact, putting more phosphorus on will probably hurt your yield in that spot because you don't have your zinc and your copper in ratio. For example, when I'm looking at that 122, I'd like to see my my zinc level roughly 10 to 1, but let's be even go a little more than that. Let's call it 12 to 1. So I would want close to 10 parts per million of zinc. You're at 2. I would want, as a 30 to 1 ratio phosphorus to copper, I would want to be at 3 or 4 parts per million on copper. You're at a half part per million. Here's the other challenge. You have very light soil. Now, I, I am glad your yield goal is 200 bushels, but if it's not irrigated, you have some ground that's five. I mean, much of your ground is five for CEC. That's almost pure sand. You'd have to have rain about every third day. Otherwise, you may not be able to get 200 bushel corn. Now, the good news is where you're from in Ohio, you get way more rainfall than we do. If I had that kind of soil here without irrigation, my yield goal would probably be 100. So, uh, I'm I'm optimistic for you just because you normally get rainfall. But when you have sand that you're farming, you're going to have to spoon feed nitrogen, sulfur, and boron. So in other words, you put some on up front, you put some on early in the season as the crop gets growing, and then you put some more on later on. So those three nutrients are the most leachable nutrients, and you will need to apply those at multiple times. So that's a real big key. But the, the other thing is here, when we're talking about phosphorus and zinc and copper, they don't move in soil. So you can put those out even in sand. They're going to stay there for years and years and years. Just get your levels up, and then you'll be in good shape. Now, with potassium, it's kind of in between. It can leach, and it will leach in your sand. But you only have, I mean, your lowest spot is only 40 parts per million of potassium. 40. So when you have sand like that, you need to get that up to probably 150 or 200 right away in terms of parts per million. But you're going to probably have to put some on mid-season. So you don't have to do it twice like you do with nitrogen, sulfur, boron. But one of those times when you're out there applying those other nutrients, I'd if it was me in that sand, I'd probably put some K on as well. So there's good and bad with all this. The, the challenge is you have very light soil, so things can leach away. you got to have constant rainfall, things like that. But the good news is you can change ratios in your soil. You can fix a lot of things really fast. And almost any dollar you spend on fertilizer, oh, it's getting into the plant, and it's getting into the plant quickly. Whereas in my heavy soils with very little rain, sometimes it's four years later by the time some of my fertilizer actually gets into the plant. So it can become a little frustrating where, where we farm. We just each have different challenges. So those are the main things. I would also take a look at you're probably going to need a little bit of magnesium. So when you're putting out your potassium, 
I would consider using something like KMAG just so I get some magnesium as well. You'd like your magnesium close to in that 15 to 20% kind of range when you have lighter soil, well, you're at 8 or 9%. So if you get a little more magnesium out there, that will help kind of tighten up that soil and help hold your rainfall just a little bit better. So that 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 should help as well. But yeah, you got a lot of things to, to work on here, but at least in the one spot that I was mentioning, your phosphorus at least is great. Oh, and by the way, your pH is great too. So, I mean, there there are certainly some things that are good. All right. Do you think it's important, you know, as a as a young farmer just getting going, you have to look at this as, all right, if you've got an off-farm job, which I'm sure you do because you're not making enough money on 40 acres to cover everything, not doing what you're doing, um, you, you just have to think about it. Okay, am I willing to invest some of my fun money that's extra from my for my other job or does this acre have to pay for itself year one? Cause some of the stuff like, like Brian is discussing there, I mean, you can build it up, get it to a level where you want it long-term and then you're just crop maintenance after that. So that is something to think about too, that eh, it might be a multi-year investment. It's not always going to be, well, just whatever I put out today, I've got to get a 10% return on that or a 20% return on that. It, it could be a, a longer term that you look at to get that return back. Hey, thanks for the question and good luck to you. Really appreciate it. We'll dive back into some more of these Ag PhD mailbag questions. And certainly if you have a question at home, you have time to give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll tackle your question as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back with multi-year proven results, Torque drives performance. Unique to other biologicals, Torque can be applied with other chemistries. Use in furrow or side dress to increase mycorrhizal associations, enhancing root development. Learn more about Torque at thinkbiological.com or contact your local retailer and ask for Torque today. Novozymes BioAg, Think Biological. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. 
Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we feel heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new battalion amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Head over to your local CNB to get yourself a new John Deere planter or schedule inspections to make sure your equipment is as ready for spring as you are. Visit CNB Operations online at DeerEquipment.com. That's D-W-E-R-Equipment.com. Morton buildings are made to last for generations. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, we are committed to quality. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Got this question that came in from RKB who says, I'm over in south central Minnesota. We get somewhere around 35 inches of annual rainfall here. And I've got a couple of questions for you. First of all, I want to ask you about potassium sulfate on alfalfa. I heard Neil Kinsey talking about that back in February. My question is, would we need to fertilize all the ground that has potential for alfalfa to be grown on it with potassium sulfate? Or would the annual top dress just need to be potassium sulfate? Also, how about on corn silage and snaplage? Would that change the flavor of the feed? Or would you just need to make sure that your sulfur level is high enough? I would make sure my sulfur level is high enough. That's the most important thing. Now, would the potassium sulfate actually change the flavor of the feed? I mean, maybe. So it's just if it costs a bunch more money, that gets to be my concern. How much are you willing to spend to gain something? So we're always looking at return on investment, and I don't know if you're if you're going to do it. But here's what we always say. Try it out. Just try it on some of your acres. Try it uh, in the beginning and top dress. On some other, just do it as top dress. And some other, just do your normal program and just see what you see for a difference, what you end up with for tonnage, feed quality, any of those kind of things. And that, that, that's really the only way you're going to know with your ground. You, do I think it's going to pay? Probably not, but it very well could. Okay. Uh, then second question from RKB. Oh, hey, and, and I'm sorry. Let me, let me finish up on that too. Potassium is unbelievably important for alfalfa. You need crazy amounts of potassium. So we built our potassium up, for example, before we put in about 500 acres of alfalfa last year, we built our potassium up so we didn't have to put in any potassium for the next three years, seriously, even with a big crop of alfalfa. It's so important to get that down in the ground and have very high levels because you are going to pull off a crazy amount of K when you harvest that alfalfa. Okay. Uh, next question he's got. Uh, okay. I've got a new piece of ground and one of the points on my uh, soil testing program at one grid point here, 
Uh, I got the following analysis, and I'll read it in just a second. This happens to be where there is some tile, uh, where the main line is at, and, and dirt hasn't been moved here, so we're, we're actually looking at something real. Also, I don't have a big salt issue here uh, due to all the rainfall that we're getting in. Of course, we've got some tile, but we've got organic matter of 7.7%. Really low phosphorus, like single-digit parts per million, and... A lot of calcium, 90% calcium, 8% magnesium, and only 1% base saturation potassium. What would you do on ground like this? Real heavy, 31 CEC. Okay, here's the thing. He says this is this. it's tiled, and it's where the main tile exists, but that tile's six feet deep. So honestly... Um, the main line. The main line right. six feet deep. Right. So how close are the other lines and what else is going on? I mean, I, I don't know. What my fear is, is everything drops way down to that six feet and there's nothing within 20 feet of either side of this that is giving you good drainage that's relatively shallow and maybe there's some compaction below you or something like that. But I'll just say this. Let's just assume that your tiling is great and it can't get any better. If that's the case, then what would I do for this? Well, I'm probably going to be putting a bunch of sulfur on there because your calcium level is really high. And quite frankly, I'll, I'll almost guarantee you it's artificially high. There's free calcium floating around in your soil because most likely you have excess lime. Whenever we see tests where it's 91% calcium and 5,700 parts per million of calcium, that generally means we got excess lime out there and you can flush that out with sulfur. You're going to bind that calcium to sulfur and flush some away if you have great drainage. So that's my first concern. Next, I mean, what it's going to take to fix it, you got two parts per million of phosphorus and you have 140 of potassium parts per million and only 1.2% base saturation K. I, I, I mean... It's unfortunately going to cost some money, but you got to fix your P and your K. Now, I'd also say we don't have the micronutrient levels here, so I would really like to see that as well as the sulfur. If let's say that your sulfur reading comes out exceptionally high, because we see that occasionally in soils like this, well, then all you may need to do is fix your drainage and your compaction issue, and everything's going to straighten itself out in terms of that calcium score. So I'd be curious to see what sulfur and the micros test out at. Okay. Thanks for the question. All right. At risk of taking up the whole rest of the show here, Brian, I have a question from Kevin. He's an agronomist over in Wisconsin. He said, guys, I want to ask you about white mold and manganese. Yep. I've got a lot of growers I work with that have severe white mold issues, and we've tried everything from contans, row spacing, cobra, fungicides, we found some success in all of those. However, I had a grower right. mention me watching one of your TV shows. You guys were talking about manganese, and yep. so MN, and soil test levels helping with white mold. So we looked at his soil test levels uh, from a DTPA manganese test from Midwest Labs, two to six parts per million, low to very low. And he's no-till guy. We, we understand manganese doesn't move very much in the soil, so we're kind of curious what you think here. He's willing to raise his soil manganese levels, spreading dry manganese sulfate, 
We were planning on trying 100 pounds per acre on 100 acres, 50 of which will be corn this year, 50 will be soybeans this year, and then flip-flop, of course. Uh, he has liquid only on his planter. So we're curious, should we be trying manganese sulfate on more acres? Can we expect results the first year? Should we do it through a spinner spreader? Lots of questions on manganese here. Tell us what you know. Okay, first of all, you need to get a Malik 3 test. Don't trust the DTPA. That is tied exclusively in our experience to soil pH. The higher your pH, the lower your manganese level. The lower your pH, the higher your manganese level. But here's the thing. So what you're saying is if the soil pH on that spot said 5, you might trust the 2 to 6 parts per million. Absolutely. But if it said 8, you'd say, uh, yeah, no, no. No, correct. So what we're going to tell you is this. First, get a Malik 3 test. If your Malik 3 is also showing low, let's say it shows below 50, then I'm for sure putting some manganese out there. I would put some manganese sulfate out. You say 100 pounds, and for a lot of us, we think, oh, yeah, 100 pounds, that's sure, whatever. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Manganese sulfate is not cheap. So to try it on 100 acres, I might try it on 20 acres first and prove to me to myself, hey, this works. Well, and but target, what, one thing we've done too, Kevin, is we've targeted, hey, I know this low area on this farm has a problem, but the high ground doesn't. With white mold. So with we just mold. targeted specific areas based on historic yes. yield maps of yes. where should we be going after things. And so that's what we would encourage you to do with many of these steps. So here are the nine things we're typically going to recommend. Soil manganese, contans, this pick be, a more this tolerant be on the seed same, variety. This be on the same field. So do yeah. all nine of these where yes. you have white mold. Yes. So again, manganese, uh, contans, that's the fungus that eats the sclerotia. Pick a more tolerant variety, wider row spacing, lower planting population. Use some heads-up seed treatment. Uh, early post-emerge, I do a PPO plus group 15. Now, this isn't going to be labeled, and some of these things might, might not be labeled for this or whatever, but just do it. You'll see improved results. Then use some Cobra or Phoenix right before flowering in soybeans, and then it's fungicide. And it's fungicide at R1, R3, and R5. Now, if you're listening, and especially if you don't have white mold, you're going, these guys are crazy. They want us to spend ridiculous amounts of money. Um, here's the thing. White mold has taken 90 bushels from our yield. Um, I, I mean, we have had yields go from good to literally zero. So we understand the importance of getting this thing under control. Fortunately, white mold usually hits in only in certain areas on your farm, and it hits the same areas year after year, or let's call it every other year, like when you might rotate. Uh, the one thing that I didn't mention is crop rotation. That's perhaps the best thing you can do is stay away from soybeans for a few years. When we've done that, that's mostly solved the problem too. But with this manganese, like Darren said, hey, target these really bad areas. Increase your manganese quite a bit there. Yes, we want you to do manganese sulfate. Now, you can try some with the planter. We have done that too. Haven't seen a lot of response out of that, but it'll probably more than pay for itself. If you go just a little bit, let's say you're going a quart of manganese, liquid manganese chelate-in furrow or something like that. Again, little helper, not major. Thanks for the question, Kevin. Good luck to you. Thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.